So some quite difficult sayings there from Jesus, from this very famous passage, the Sermon on the Mount, it's often called. And a former bishop of Durham, Tom Wright, says, often in the Sermon on the Mount, we come to sayings which puzzle us. Initially, it sounds as if what Jesus is saying is, just be a doormat and let people walk all over you. So turning the other cheek, these are phrases that are still around, aren't they, in our society, even in our post-Christian society, people have some idea of turning the other cheek. Do they believe in it? Do they not? Or going the extra mile. What does that really involve today? And I think part of the issue with uh, this sermon and with these sayings of Jesus is that we don't always say to ourselves, so who was Jesus speaking to? And when we ask that question, uh, it helps us. Because in this first part of what Julie read, it's really interesting that Jesus' listeners, the people hearing him, were not the people who were going to hit somebody else. They were not the people who were going to start a lawsuit. They were not the people who were going to impose forced labor. But who were they? They were victims. They were the people who Jesus said, if someone strikes you, or if someone wants to sue you, or if someone forces you to go one mile. So let's think about not only Jesus' listeners, but people in the world today who are subjected to indignities, people who are oppressed, people who are forced to accept dehumanizing treatment at the hands of those who have power over them. And then we'll get closer to some of the listeners that were amongst Jesus' hearers. So in response to that, Jesus says, I tell you, do not resist this evil person. For if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, what I wanted to suggest to you this morning is that this is not about being totally passive in pacifism that does nothing about injustice. And I've already suggested that from our setting the scene about people who responded, who did something. Nor is it about taking violent action in our own defense. Jesus is thinking about situations in life and saying, what is a different way of responding, of making a difference? Now, I want to illustrate um, about the, the right cheek, and Janice is going to help me uh, with this. Uh, so uh, let's just picture then an oppressor and uh, the person who is oppressed, okay? Uh, so the oppressor is going to uh, do something now. <laughs> you fool! So uh, what has the oppressor done? The oppressor has hit me on uh, the right cheek, but with the back of the hand, and that is actually, that was the insulting way uh, of dealing with someone, and the back of the hand was very important. And also the right hand was very important. So you didn't use your left hand for 
any of this uh, violence. The left hand and the right hand were very different, and that's still the same in some cultures today. Certain things you do with the right hand, some things you do with your left. So, so I've had this uh, attack on my right cheek, and now I'm going to do what Jesus said I should do. So I'm going to turn the left cheek to the oppressor. But, you see, the oppressor has quite a problem now to try and insult me again. Can't use the left hand, has to use the right hand, but that's difficult. So it might be that the oppressor might think of that, but ah, no, because that is more like a challenge to a duel, that kind of thing. So it's dealing with me suddenly as an equal, not as the person who is being subjected to this. So the oppressor suddenly thinks, no, I can't treat that person as an equal, and the oppressor just walks away. So uh, there you saw a little bit of Randall interaction. Uh, Peter and Emma, of course, kiss one another in the services, but, uh, <laughs> but this is something slightly different um, this morning. But do you see the point that uh, in turning the left cheek, it's not that you say, just hit me again. It's actually changing the relationship uh, between that person who thinks that they have the power and the person who appears to have no power, and suddenly the, uh, the oppressor has to think twice. So it's a surprising, non-violent way of addressing that violence that Jesus is uh, bringing to his hearers and bringing to the world today where so much oppression is taking place. What can be done? Or the extra mile. What does that mean? Well, again, that was something very specific in the culture of the time. The Roman occupying troops in Palestine had a legal right to demand that the people under them, the Jews in this case, uh, would help Roman soldiers drag their heavy military equipment one mile. That's what the Roman law said. And as you know, the Romans were very much into the law. So, somebody's recruited to do this, forced to do that. They do the mile. And then, of course, most people say, right, that's it, I've done it. But Jesus says, go a second mile. But that puts the Romans in a really difficult position. Because then there's no longer the law that says, do the one mile. You're surprising them. And they don't quite know how to deal with that. It might be that you do a second mile. It might be some unexpected conversations arise. But whatever it is, uh, it's a surprising initiative that Jesus is talking about. Not just go on and do whatever they want you to do, but change that relationship. And uh, there are people today, I've heard Christians in Palestine uh, speaking about how they've taken some of these non-violent, surprising initiatives uh, when they are treated in a violent way. So that's the second thing that Jesus says. And the third is about uh, giving your uh, tunic as well as your cloak. So what's all that about? Well, giving your cloak when a poor person uh, was in debt... The cloak was a pledge to the rich creditor to whom they owed the money. So this is covered in the Old Testament in Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 24. But what it says is, because the cloak keeps you warm, uh, even this rich man at the end of the day who has got this cloak as a pledge 
should give it back to the poor person at least overnight uh, to keep them from freezing to death overnight in some of the uh, cold nights. So here's something that was accepted, that you have this business with a cloak. So what's Jesus saying? Well, he's saying your inner garment, you've got the cloak and then you've got the tunic inside, that isn't covered by this. You keep your tunic. But what Jesus is saying in this courtroom situation, uh, a poor person is being invited not only to give the cloak to the rich creditor, but also the tunic, the inner garment. So what happens in the court if the poor person does that? The poor person is left, possibly, naked in the courtroom. So it's a dramatic kind of moment, this naked person in the courtroom. But whose shame is it to be naked? Actually, in that culture, it was the person looking at the naked person who was shamed. So it's the rich person who's shamed by this giving of the tunic as well as uh, the cloak. It's not the poor person themselves who is being shamed. So isn't this interesting to think that what Jesus is talking about here is something that changes relationships. It is standing up for injustice. It is saying, in this case, uh, the poor person to the rich person, yes, you have a legal right to take my cloak, but I'm now going to expose your injustice and I'll show the injustice of this whole thing by giving my tunic as well. Now, there's a theology behind this in what Jesus says. It's not just doing something as Gandhi and Martin Luther King and others have done, but there is something about this which points us to the nature of God. And that's what theology is ultimately, isn't it? Who is God? And what this is saying about God is God is the one who gives his son and his reign to the just and the unjust alike. So there is goodness in God, but this very goodness is intended to change that unjust person. So the unjust person is not changed by even more violence, but the unjust person is changed by an unexpected initiative. And so Jesus, in picking up on the Old Testament, saying uh, that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, says that you may be children of your Father in heaven. The book of Leviticus, some of these books that we think, ooh, difficult books, confusing books in the Old Testament. This is what it says. Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone, but love your neighbor as yourself. It's there uh, in that Old Testament book of Leviticus. So what an amazing thing, this transformation that could take place where enemies become friends, where there's a community for these Jewish people that was not just the Jewish community. That's what they thought was their community. That's where your friends were. But look beyond that. And, of course, Jesus was really talking about what was going to happen with the church, looking beyond people who were regarded as enemies, becoming friends, coming into the community. And so it's a lot to say to us, isn't it, uh, about how transformation can take place in our attitudes, in our lives, in the way we pray for other people, uh, and to see that transformation then in other people as well. Just over a week ago, a few of us here from Camborne Church were at uh, a day that was put on by the Diocese of Ely, and it took place in Ely, and it was on the subject of healing. And the main person who was speaking 
uh, was Russ Parker. Some of you may know his work in this area of healing and uh, prayer for healing and reconciliation. And he was talking about something that happened to him where he was asked to appear on a television program to represent the church. How do you represent the church? Anyway, this is what he was asked to do. And he found out there were two other people who were going to be on the panel with him. One of them had lost a son to an IRA bomber. The other was a survivor of the Holocaust. So the topic was going to be forgiveness. Forgiveness, these two people, forgiveness, what does the church have to say? So the two people were interviewed. They were asked about their terrible experiences. And then they were asked, so could you forgive the people who did these terrible things to you? And both these other people on the panel said, no, we, we just couldn't forgive. It would be disrespectful to forgive uh, because of what's happened, because of the effect on our families. Forgiveness is just wrong. These are the enemies. So then they turned to uh, Russ Parker and said, well, you've heard these two people. Uh, what do you have to say to them about this? What does the church have to say to, to these people? And, you know, it's a classic kind of situation, isn't it? Uh, so Russ said, something surprising came into my mind at that point. And he said, I just said, these people have gone through horrendous things. I'm not able to say something that relates from my experience to what they've gone through. Then he turned to the audience and he said, um, so has anybody else in the audience gone through what these two people have gone through? And nobody in the audience uh, put up their hands. And then he said to the audience, but have any of you here been really hurt? Have any of you felt it's so hard to forgive? I can't forgive because of something that somebody has done to me. And he said every single person put up their hands in the audience. And he said, those people, now I want to draw into a message which is the message of the gospel, that we can change, we can see people changed. The message of Christ on the cross that we're remembering in our communion service this morning, where he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so there was a transforming moment, really, for the way Russ interacted with that situation, which I think in all the different situations we're in, where really painful things at times are part of people's lives and perhaps part of our lives. Let's ask what can be done to transform. And there's a whole movement now called Just Peacemaking to try in churches and communities in our world to bring about peace, reconciliation, justice, fairness. And this has been endorsed by leaders of Methodist churches, Presbyterian, Catholic, Baptist churches. To see that we can be involved in a world that is violent and that has so much suffering. We can be involved in practices of peacemaking, of healing. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they didn't know the practices that made for peace. And so we have the opportunity to hear those practices as we've done from uh, the sermon. To pray as we do in these wonderful prayers that Peter has led us in, uh, to love 
the enemy and to do good. These are the breakthroughs of grace. They're not us trying harder. You know, sometimes it talks about the hard sayings, or I've heard people talk about the hard sayings of Jesus. If we've got to try harder. But it's the initiatives of God that make the difference and the initiatives of the Spirit to bring healing that makes the difference. And we're open to that. Just two or three weeks ago, uh, Janice and I were at a meeting where uh, someone from Cambodia spoke. And I think this is very relevant as we think about people losing their lives because you know the history of Cambodia in recent decades, the history of the killing fields, uh, the story of, uh, of such a tragedy in a nation, three million people uh, put to death, uh, most of them by the Khmer Rouge regime. And this pastor who was speaking, this Cambodian pastor at this meeting that we were at and we met him, rakes a hymn. He said that uh, in uh, his teenage years, uh, he lost all his family, 13 members of his family, uh, through these massacres. And he just nursed revenge in his heart. That was his main thing. How could he uh, get back at these terrible people? Uh, and later he became a Christian. He had moved outside Cambodia. But in the Christian experience of forgiveness, of receiving forgiveness, he found his heart being changed. He found the revenge was disappearing. He found a desire to do something for the people of Cambodia. So he went back, went back to his home village and found the killers of his family, the 13 members of his family who had been killed on one day. He found the killers. He expressed what he felt as a Christian now in terms of forgiveness. But through other resources that have been made known, uh, have come along, he's been able to set up in this home community amongst very poor people uh, a community center and uh, development for children. And as I heard this, and as I was thinking then about this message for today, to, which finishes with doing good to the needy, uh, and making a difference in the world. I thought, if only these stories could be better known. These stories of the triumph of good over evil. Those stories of people's lives changed and communities beginning to be changed. Why don't we get the media more interested in this? Uh, and then I thought, well, actually, Jesus says, don't do a great thing about blowing the trumpet about this. What is happening is for the good of those people who receive new life and change circumstances. So it is not about everyone knowing, but it is about us hearing these words of Jesus this morning. Words that ask us not to be a doormat, not to be passive, but to think, what difference can I make? How can I be part of the transforming initiative of Jesus. And part of that is as we take bread and wine, as we think about how Jesus, in the depths of suffering and of darkness, overcame, and how the good news of the gospel comes out of that self-giving of Jesus. And so let us, this morning, again recognize what it means to be followers of Jesus.